When it comes to today's topic of business insurance, I have to confess, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I love the idea of protecting my business and my assets, but I hate the premiums and I hate the contracts that make you go blind when you try to read them. And, and then when something bad happens, I really hate it when someone says, hmm, gee, no, you're not covered for that. That's not the answer I want to hear. And I'm sure that's not the answer you want to hear either. There's all kinds of misunderstandings about business insurance that lead to disappointment. I've even had one person tell me that they think their general liability coverage protects them from lawsuits. Seriously, <laughs> there's a lot of misunderstanding. And that's why our topic today is the truth about business insurance. She's a respected and trusted business advisor, an Ivy League business expert, best-selling author, and no-nonsense lawyer. She's Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur working for someone else, I want to give you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Because no one likes getting blindsided by what you don't know but somehow should or getting stuck paying for it later. Think of it as a mini MBA and school of hard knocks wrapped in one and on steroids. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. So much blood, sweat, and tears goes into building and growing a successful business. And to do the right thing by your business, to honor your hard work, and out of respect for those whose well-being depends on your business, your customers, your clients, patients, as well as your own family, your employees, and their families, you owe it to them and to yourself to make smart choices when it comes to business insurance. And that's why I am delighted to welcome Mr. Jim Holmes to the show. Jim is Managing Partner of Sentinel Risk Advisors, LLC, a comprehensive insurance risk analysis and liability firm that helps guard your assets and guide you in tailoring coverage to fit your business needs. He's an insurance expert, and he's seen firsthand how misunderstandings about insurance lead to bad coverage choices. Jim is a graduate of the North Carolina State University and is a certified public accountant. He's also very active in his community. He serves on numerous boards, including as a member of the Board of Governors of the University of North Carolina. He's particularly passionate about operating companies, professional liability, complex casualty, commercial real estate, income property, and growth companies. And today, he's going to help shatter some myths about business insurance so that you and I can make more informed decisions when evaluating and selecting insurance coverage for our business. Welcome to the show, Jim. Hannah, thank you for having me. No, thank you. This is a pleasure. You know, insurance is just one of these sticky wickets, and I'm so glad to have you here to be able to help explain some of the misconceptions and traps people fall into about their business insurance. And I'm sure you've seen so many of them over the years as you've been in this area, in this field. Tell me about some of them. What are some common misconceptions that people have that you've discovered? Yeah, you know, it was really interesting. I was listening to your introduction, and your, your, your frustrations are shared by many um, in all shapes, forms, and sizes throughout industry. The biggest misconception about insurance is, is that it is a comprehensive protection plan for anything that you can think of, or buyers assume that it's much larger. And I can tell you, when I was a CFO, I fell in that bucket, and I assumed a lot more than, than was there. So I think the big point that I make to folks all the time is 
insurance and the placement of insurance in developing risk management programs, it's about contracts. It's contract law. They're contracts of exclusion and adhesion. And what that means is that unless it's specifically excluded in the contract, benefit will inure to the contract holder, the insured. So insurance carriers, not because they don't want to provide coverage, but because they have to actually exclude those risks that they don't want to cover or don't intend to cover within a contract, build these very complicated documents that nobody ever generally takes the time to read. And and they really don't find out what they actually have until such time that they have a loss and, and they find out it's not covered. And I can tell you that no particular line is immune. We deal with as many people that are frustrated about auto as as property, general liability. My comment to folks always is these are contracts. You need to be sure you understand what you're getting and be sure that what you're getting fits to your business. And I'll, I'll just finish it up real quickly by saying that terms and conditions are negotiated. So it's not a one-size-fit-all scenario. And, and, and a lot of folks think that you know, I go and I buy a general liability policy and I've got everything in the world I need. And quite frankly, it's only as good as, as it was negotiated. So the notion of full coverage, I hear that a lot. Well, I'm fully covered. Well, there's just, there's just no such thing. The biggest misconception is that programs start out in a comprehensive format. So the first page giveth and all the other pages taketh away, huh? That, that, that's exactly right. And, and again, you know, the logic for that is simple. You know, you unless carriers exclude certain coverage or exclude what they don't intend to cover at a specific premium, it, it's covered. And, and insurance companies have been around for a long time, and they're really, really smart. What I will follow that up with is you can generally negotiate either just by asking or for incremental cost coverage that fits pretty much any scenario. We range from blank sheet policies where we literally write a policy for a very innocuous risk to broadening and expanding, you know, your more common risk profile. So pretty much anything can be obtained. It's just, it's a cost benefit analysis. And that's why you need to apply the same analytics to your risk management program that you would apply to the rest of your business. So how much negotiating power does a small business have? I mean, I see these forms, they're all pre-printed. It doesn't look like there's a whole lot of wiggle room in these. Can you elaborate yeah, on that? Yeah, there's a ton of latitude, and, and I'll speak to it from two different components. The coverage components, they're very broad. Again, you can negotiate and pretty much structure, you know, within reason what you need to in any industry segment. From a pricing standpoint, there's a lot of latitude. You, you can see wide ranges of, of pricing, and that's literally or generally how hard your representative is negotiating for you. They can have as much as 45%, you know, credit on a rate, depending on, on the filing, up to about 45% on any line. So one of the things, you know, that, that I always encourage buyers to look at is, is rate, not premium. Premium is a, a byproduct of a rating basis and a rate. So premium is an output. Really all, all you're concerned about when you're negotiating is what you're paying from a rate perspective. That's interesting. Tell me more about what goes into the rate and why there's such latitude in negotiating the rate. Yeah, so a couple things, and you asked another question I'll touch on as well. Different carriers have different focuses in industry segments, and there are literally hundreds of carriers, so there's no shortage of, of carrier um, base, but carriers develop their own rate structures. Insurance carriers typically have multiple rating structures depending on how much they really want to write a risk. And writing a risk is, a, is about creating comfort within your carrier base. 
I will tell you that you know the more your your risk is understood, and the more you can make an underwriter want to have your account represented by their firm, the more latitude you're going to have. And there are a number of components that go into into that. And the second piece is working with someone who's going to truly drive value. I'll just share in our firm, nobody works on commission. So we and we did that intentionally. We didn't want individuals within our firm compensated based on how much somebody pays. We want our firm to be compensated based on the longevity of a client, you know, growing a successful practice. So we, we adopted more of a professional services model. So you need to look at how hard or how zealously someone's going to negotiate on your behalf. The other thing you asked about is how does a small business get a lot of credibility? Well, it's one of the most sought-after spaces in the insurance industry, but be sure that the individual you're working with, the firm, has enough volume to drive incremental decision-making. I'll elaborate on the process in a little while, but you really want to be sure that you have control and you're applying analytics to your renewal process. It's all, again, it's about rate, rating basis, and premiums, the least of my concern, because that's simply an output. It's an output, but ultimately that's what the check gets written to. So I think that's what a lot of people focus on. It. <laughs> they are, and, and often wrongly because, you know, and I, I was meeting with a gentleman the other day, and he looked at me and he said, you know, I got a 20% decrease. He's, he's an older gentleman, been in business for a long time. And I said, you did, but your business shrunk by 40%. Well, effectively his rate went up. So understanding that, that premiums and output, we always want to watch the trend of rates and negotiate rates as low as possible. A lot of businesses are either either rated on sales or payroll. If your payroll goes up, you're, you're expecting to pay more premium. If you're tracking your rate, which is static across that rating basis, and that rate goes down, although your premium may have gone up, you have effectively saved money over that relative um, output, if that makes sense. Okay, so the two are very much related, and so it's a matter of digging down below the numbers a bit. Absolutely. Oh, no, because we look at the bill and go, oh, that's the insurance. Boom. <laughs> End of Understand discussion. what drives your bill. Yeah, well, that's very interesting. And I think that's helpful because now people can know how to drill down and why to drill down. And so when they're working with an agent, I mean, what action should a buyer pursue in the process of obtaining insurance? It's What's the best way to go about this? Understand the process. And there's a process, and I'll give you a Probably, you know, everybody likes to talk about going and getting a quote, and they think right. that that yields result. So we all generally in the brokerage community represent the same carriers. Some of us have more than others, but generally, you know, we, we represent the same carriers. So the way insurance carriers control access is by the first person that touches or, or gives them an application. Um, I tell people all the time, don't choose who represents you based on a foot race. Let's say you interview two firms and firm A is really, really good and you feel very comfortable with them and you want them to place your insurance and you interview firm B and you're not really excited about firm B, but they don't have a lot of clients because they're not very good. They go back to their office, fill out a bunch of applications and send them out to the carrier base. Those carriers that firm B touched will only work with firm B. Everybody else is excluded. Insurance companies won't compete with themselves for the same piece of business. So I tell people all the time, choose the person who's going to protect you when what you pray never happens based on the intellectual capital they deploy, not their ability to generate paper quickly. So you really need to manage that process and select your representative based on their ability and not their ability to access markets quickly. A lot of times we'll get calls for folks to, for us to work on their account 
and we have to go through this long process of getting markets back so we can actually do our job because they've had two or three people out there working and there are no carriers for us to work with and we have lots of volume and lots of leverage and you have to control that process. The other thing that I would suggest is get to know the carriers. Carriers love to meet with clients and there's nobody that tells their story better than the individual who's running their business. We, we may understand a little bit about their business or even a lot about their business but we'll never be as ingrained in our clients' business as they are because that's their livelihood and passion. That goes a long way in making underwriters really want to work with, with your company and be part of the team. It, it's, it's not an adversarial process. It should be very open. And the third is really have a plan and set a timeline. In our firm, we have a very static timeline where, where we set our incumbent renewal process beginning in about 120 days, and we try to be done with our incumbent renewals at 60 days so we can gauge a process as to whether we want to access other markets. You don't want to go to the insurance marketplace every year. I I tell people all the time, think about it like your business. If you had an opportunity to work on an account in year one, you you work on it really hard and you don't get it, and in year two they come back, you work on it again and you don't get it, and year three you kind of scratch your head, but you say, I'm going to do it again. Well, by the time you get to year three or four, you're you're, you're not going to work on it anymore. Underwriters are in that same mindset. When they see the same account over and over and over again from tons of different people, they just don't work on it. So you need to be mindful of the process and how you create comfort around a process that's intentionally kept vague and nebulous by our industry. And that's kind of my fourth point. It's a buyer's process. You take control of it. You set the expectation. You set the timeline. You know, and from an educated standpoint, work within in controlling that process um, because it's your placement, not the brokerage community. So I kind of walked through a whole bunch of stuff there very quickly, but but have a system, a methodology, a process. And I tell people all the time, you don't you don't need to know how to build the watch. You just want to be sure you know how to tell time. <laughs> yeah, well, that certainly applies here. But it's very interesting, these insights that you've shared here about the process. You know, you, you're like pulling the curtain back on the Wizard of Oz, and I appreciate that. But it seems like the idea of selecting a representative, some people work directly with a particular insurance company. They may get solicitation in the mail, insurance company X. Now, that's not a brokerage representing different companies. It's the insurer directly. If they want to be shopping around, not that they're doing it every year or every six months or something like that, but let's say they really want to make sure that they get the best kind of coverage and the best protection that they can afford because... There, there are these limitations and trade-offs with risk. How do they go about selecting a representative? You talked about the intellectual capital that they should be tapping into. How do they do that? Yeah, so a couple things. You know, insurance is overhead until you have a loss. I was a CFO for many years, and, and I can tell you that if I knew then what I know now, I would have run it completely different and been far more effective. So I get everything you just said. Insurance, although we've done a great job of keeping ourselves perceptively out of the professional ranks, is truly a professional service, again, because we're in, we're in the what-you-pray-never-happens business, and when it does happen, we have to put it back. So I tell people all the time that you should go through a very similar process that you would with your attorney or your accountant. You're going to sit down. You're going to interview them. You're going to understand what their value propositions are. You're going to listen to how they would handle your account. You're going to want to develop a a level of comfort to know that there's a lot more there other than, hey, just bring me an insurance quote. 
you talk about direct writers. There are a lot of companies that write directly, um, and and you have to be really mindful about what you're getting. And I think that's where you come back to. And there's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. You just have to be sure that the person that's putting a program together and representing that they're bringing the most value through premium is actually bringing you the coverage that you that that you need and that you understand all the terms. So I, sit down and talk to folks. You know. Ask them how they place insurance to explain the process, what their service offerings are. Do they have in-house claims? Do they have an education department? How are they compensated? You go through the whole continuum of service offering just like you would any other professional service firm, and generally your head and your gut will lead you back to the right place. You know, I'm curious about your reference to your prior life as a CFO. What would you be doing differently if you knew then what you know now after working in the insurance profession? Yeah, I use myself as probably the best example of a, of a know-it-all and that, that person that, that thought they understood what they were doing. And, you know, I, I would do just what I just said. I would understand enough of the process to make informed decisions. I would not go through this long-range, multiple-person quoting process. The reason that people do that is our industry has conditioned buyers not to trust us because it's a commission-based business and there's very little barrier to entry and just a whole range of, of facts that, that created that condition. Well, the industry is very different now. You're seeing the caliber of representative continue to climb and the caliber of firm continue to climb. So I'd have a, I'd, I'd have a structured process. I'd educate myself around the carriers that really apply most uh, appropriately to my industry. I would control the process as mine. I would never allow someone to walk in the day before something renews and hand me a a last-minute Hail Mary. That's completely a sales tactic that goes on in this business all the time. And and I would treat it truly like an integral part of my company and give it more time than I generally did to understand the process, the terms and conditions, the rates and the rating basis, how my actions interact with with the process. And what I'll tell you is, Premium is an expense, but when you get into a total cost of risk analysis where you're talking about the impacts of accidents on quality and efficiency and you know, all the metrics that we use to run our business, I mean, it's a, it's a much bigger conversation. But succinctly, I guess I would say I'd, run a, I'd educate myself and I'd run a process that I could control and feel good about the tangible output. I know I've been giving you a little bit of a hard time, Jim, but I agree with you as far as insurance being an investment in sustainability because those hiccups that pop up, they can just be a huge distraction. They can slow you down or in the worst case, they can put you out of business altogether. So it's an important part of an overall business process. But I'm still curious about the education. How do you find out which type of insurance carrier is best for your industry when you know nothing yeah. about insurance. That's where you have to rely on the knowledge base of your representative. I mean, we, one of our processes is to literally outline the, the marketplace for our clients so they understand, you know, here are the carriers as we rank them, one to five, one or however many there are for a particular carrier, and this is why, and this is what we want to do, and here's our process. So it all comes back to to spending the time to be sure that the person that is representing your interests is truly doing so from a professional standpoint with structure and is driving output. You know, I share with people all the time, you know, when someone calls my firm calling to say, hey, I've had a, how's your day? I hope you had a great weekend. They're generally calling to say, 
they just ran over something or it burned down or we've been sued or you know so you really want to be sure that you have the the horsepower to be sure that again when what you pray never happens happens you know you're you're taken care of and you understand what's not covered and what you should expect because everything's insured it's either insured self-insured or it's transferred to somebody else i mean it's you know, somebody's going to pay the bill if you're liable. It's just a question of who and how much of it do you understand. That's so true. Somebody always pays the bill. It's the question of who. <laughs> Ooh, <that's laughs> All right. right. You know, but when it comes to paying the bill, sometimes people are so fearful because they don't understand the rate system you've described in terms of premiums being an output. And they're fearful of premiums going up, their bill, their overhead going up as a result of a loss. And so sometimes they may not want to report a loss, which kind of seems counterintuitive to having insurance. What good is it if you don't use it when you need it? So what impact does a single loss have in terms of pricing? Generally, very little. Um, I had a, it's funny, um, not funny, but it's, I had a, had a building in Tennessee get hit by a tornado about six years ago. And the first, I mean, the building was completely destroyed. It's about a $10 million claim. And the client, the very large property manager in Florida, called me and she said, gosh, this is going to kill us at Renewal. And I said, you know, it's not. I said, we had a loss. We've been profitable for 10 years, and they wound up getting a 20% decrease that year. So what you really look for with accounts is you look for a loss profile. And insurers are generally not going to look at an accident or an occurrence, a single occurrence, and say, that's indicative of the future. However... When they see a trend, and I will tell you that having a lot of small losses and incidents is in, in the insurance industry is indicative of a large one coming down the road. So insurers look for frequency. They look for control. They look for a, a, a huge number of, of, of factors when, when you get into creating comfort. But in general, a single loss doesn't drive an output either way. What I will tell you is that, again, comes back to we talk to our clients all the time about makes sense to follow this, it doesn't make sense to follow this, and we have meaningful conversations around our claim strategy on a regular basis with our clients. And that would take care of a lot, I would seem, keeping everyone informed, keeping the relationship intact, and helping to manage the risk, really, right? Expectations yeah. on both sides of the contract? What I find is, as long as you are telling people the reality, not what they want to hear, because everybody, you know, some people will come in with a preconceived notion. If you tell them what the reality of any situation is, you outline a fact-based plan, you communicate consistently throughout the process, and you drive ultimately the right result that's based on a proper foundation of, of reality, generally people are understanding and, and um uh, and they get it. I, I tell you, I had a, a nice person call me last week, and she said I had a, there was a flood event, and floods excluded in every policy. Generally, it can be added back, but generally it was excluded. She said, "Well, I just didn't know." Well, this is this is a lady's home, and you know, by the time we were done, you know, she she understood the gravity of her situation, and that just wasn't purchased. It wasn't with my firm; it was another firm. She asked us to consult and help her. Again, you got to know what you have, and you got to know what to expect in that process, and, and and make really informed decisions. And I think sometimes our industry doesn't always do the best job of 
of delivering the realities of the contracts and situations. Well, they may be afraid of the client's response if they were to tell them. But I am so glad that you've been candid with us. I appreciate that. And as our time is winding down here, I was wondering if you had any parting thoughts or advice for our listeners. I would just reinforce the notion that you you really need to spend the time to be sure that whomever you're working with has a process. They're explaining exactly how these contracts work. You're not going to get a lot of latitude outside of the, the, the structure of the contract. And, and remember, it's, you know, it's your process. You, you set the expectations like you would with any other service provider. You know, be sure that whoever you're working with is working you know, on your behalf proactively with a, a level of zeal that provides a meaningful differential for you in your industry. Wonderful. I appreciate your demystifying this because it is this big fog that perhaps the industry does encourage because then it requires reliance on people who maybe take advantage of that. So I appreciate your honesty and being forthright with this because all too often we don't know what questions to ask and the information you provided us with today certainly helps focus us so that we can make better choices, more informed decisions for our business and sleep better at night. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for the opportunity to speak with you today. My pleasure. Giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner. Brought to you by Business MO LLC. Thank you for joining me today on Business Confidential Now. You can get more information about today's guest and the resources we mentioned during today's show in the episode notes that are located on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. Sometimes we even include some bonuses and goodies, so be sure to check it out. That website again is businessconfidentialradio.com. And also don't forget to subscribe to the show. That is the easiest way to keep up with the show and our guests those thought leaders, experts, and authors who are transforming businesses behind closed doors around the world. Let them help you, too. Subscribe today for easy access to the business information you need to succeed. You know, the reason we call the show Business Confidential now is because you don't have time to wait, so just do it. Subscribe now and leave a review. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of our growing Business Confidential Now family. Tell your friends and colleagues so they can subscribe too. Because the more subscribers we have, the more great guests we can bring you. And the more business intelligence you'll have available to ignite and fuel your continued business success. Have an idea or a topic, a guest that you'd like to hear on Business Confidential now? Contact me at the website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media too. We'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more of the business intelligence and inside scoop you need to succeed. Till then.